Hello and welcome back to the Hum Lab Originals podcast where we meet and speak with a person who has done exciting work in an area of interest to Hum Lab which is finding developing and scaling transformative ideas in the legal industry law and justice For more information about Hum Lab and the people behind it please do visit humlab.in that's h u m l a b.in I'm your host Pavan from Bayside Tech For this episode of the podcast I met and spoke with Dr. Noorjaha Safianiaz one of the co-founders of the Bharatiya Muslim Mahila Andolan or BMMA BMMA is an autonomous secular rights-based mass organization led by Muslim women which fights for the citizenship rights of Muslims in India BMMA was formed in January 2007 and amongst the very many things they have done they have also been amongst the most vocal proponents of the banning of the practice of triple talaq BMMA has not been a stranger to the legal process. Aside from their work on the banning of triple talaq, they also filed a PIL before the Bombay High Court and won back women's right to entry to the Mazar of Haji Ali Dargah in 2016. And trust me, all this is just the tip of the iceberg. So let's go straight to Dr. Niaz and hear the rest from her. Yeah, so I am Noor Jahan and uh, been the co-founder of BMMA since 2007 since the time BMMA started. And the whole um, idea of starting BMMA was you know, it goes back to our respective work in Bombay, my work in Bombay and her work in uh, Ahmedabad. And uh, so I've been working I passed out of this in 92. I was working in couple of organizations but uh, right from my second uh, organization my focus has been uh, muslim women so i was part of yuva and i joined them in january uh, in december 92 this was just after the the violence the babri masjid demolition and uh, and i was there with them for 90 for 2 years so 90 till 94 and that was my first exposure so to say with the muslim community at the grassroots so i have had a very liberal uh, kind of upbringing my parents were both part of the government work my mom was a teacher and my father was in bombay port trust and fairly comfortable and uh, liberal lifestyle living in a middle class uh, although my first 10 years of my life i've spent in bindi bazaar which is like the, the largest muslim ghetto in bombay you can say so that that part of cultural uh, upbringing uh, as a muslim uh, was there but i was not really exposed to the poverty and the marginalization which happened in yuva and uh, for me it was a, a kind of a paradigm uh, shift that happened much early and uh, i felt that uh, i always say this 6 december 1992 i really became a muslim so although i was born a muslim but uh, this consciousness which is actually a tragedy because earlier there was no consciousness of you being of a certain religious identity you i had it's only later on that i realized i was the only muslim girl in my group of friends in college and at that point of time it was it was just not there that that whole understanding or consciousness sensitivity was not there and uh, it came in later which is which is not a good thing because then it takes you away from just breaks the connection with a lot of people but i took that positively Uh, this whole uh, understanding of your own identity as a muslim woman who and as a as part of a community which is being marginalized and um, which is so 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 backward and uh, so it's my responsibility somewhere to address that issue so although the demolition and the violence that happened affected me personally uh, not that there was any damage to property or life but they did it did change something mm-hmm. in me and i felt that it uh, i need to focus here 
with Muslim women, with the Muslim community. And that's how things happened also. I was in Yuva and then I was in RAG, Women's Research and Action Group. I was in Anjuman Islam for five years. And uh, in, in the, all these years, I my focus remained on Muslim women. That's how we started getting in cases and uh, of legal cases as well as uh, support for education, livelihood. So a, a deeper understanding of where, how the community functions and, and what's the kind of level of deprivation that it is going through. So uh, so with this uh, work that we were, in fact the Adalat work that we are doing now was something which we've been doing for since 95, since I started working. And, um, and so those cases and the deeper understanding of what Muslim women goes through is something which goes back to 95. And uh, so 2005 is when we, I and Zakia met. We were part of another uh, national network of Muslim women. And we realized that we are not going anywhere with this network because if uh, the feminists of those networks believe that a Muslim woman is only a woman and she's not a Muslim and her issues don't really arise from being a Muslim. And we felt that we are not going anywhere because Zakia came in from her background of 2002 and the violence in Gujarat and her work, a very deeper level of work with Muslim women there. So we, we because we came from the same group you know, of knowing Muslim women and we ourselves being Muslim. I also don't like this thing of me here and our women there. We are a group of Muslim women who believe in a certain, you know, we have our own faith. For us, secularism is not atheism. So I'm a very, very secular person. For that, I don't have to give up my belief in God or whatever. So it is possible to be a believer, have a, have faith in whatever your creator or whoever your creator is. At the same time, be a secular person. And this is where our clash with the larger women's movement happened, where absolutely no talk about religion. And religion is an oppressive institution and women should not be uh, you know, dragged back into that institution. And we felt that women are already there. You know? There's no question of dragging them back. They're there. I mean, I'm there. Zakia is there. All of us are believing Muslim women. So where are you taking away from? And where are we going to go and what kind of fights are we going to fight if our problems are going to be emerging from our identity itself? Where are you taking us away from? from Why there? you want to fracture this Frac identity? Fracture and it's not going to help hmm. because uh, all of us in India are largely believers. Hmm. You know, very few of us are atheists. And so we felt that's where the idea of BMMA came in. That if we have to address these issues and uh, you know, so we need not be ashamed of our being a Muslim woman. Mm. No, I'm not apologetic about being a Muslim. Mm. And uh, I'm, I don't see any contradiction in my being a Muslim and my being an Indian and my being a secular person. So and you're being a feminist. And, and feminist. Yeah. So I'm all of that mm. at the same time. And you bring in these artificial binaries, trinaries, and you want to pick up people and you want to fit, it, fit into these slots which mm. have been made by you. But I am all of this. I'm a feminist, I'm a secular person, I'm a believing Muslim, I'm a woman, I'm an Indian. So many identities I carry. And if if I if I'm able to address my issues by taking all of these identities together, what's the harm? So that's where we felt that we need to really shift out and uh, create a, another national platform for Muslim women, for women who believe in, uh, who are not ashamed of being a Muslim, a believing person. At the same time, who believes in these universal uh, values of equality, justice, human rights, democracy. You know, those are not contradictions within Islam. Those are not. You cannot pose these values against Islamic values. For us, Islam is equality and justice and wisdom and compassion, all of that. Our understanding of Islam is also so different from what the mullahs uh, tell us. We don't agree with their understanding of Islam because they are extremely patriarchal. 
and uh, with their patriarchal lenses they have been reading the quran and that's then that's what you get to hear from them whereas we read the quran from a feminist perspective and we get a lot of it that is good to us good good for us to take our struggle forward so that's where we felt that we believe in the quran we believe in the constitution of the country there's no contradiction in me being a muslim and an indian i take both the values i take the core values of the constitution and the quran which is the same and i'm going to fight my battle a lot of people told us it's so too simplistic how can you compare the quran with the constitution i said why not you make it simple no again non lawyer help make it simple absolutely simple the quran and end of the day it's a book of god it's not going to talk about things which are going to harm uh, 50% of the population and our interpretation will depend on our mindset so if it is simplifying my struggle it is making it simple for ordinary women to take both the values of the book both the books and fight our struggle what's wrong so you have to bring it down to where we are as ordinary people and it, it should make sense to them and for that you need to like the mullahs like the lawyers you just need to give up your the your aura of uh, superiority and arrogance of knowledge and that's what the mullahs say we know the quran better so it's like thank you very much but we will do our own readings we will read the quran ourselves we will find out what's there for us we are educated enough to read the, and the quran is available in all international national languages thank you very much we don't need you and also similarly in our battles whether triple talaq or hazi mm-hmm. ali you you need to make it make sense to us my first question to you would be you have had of course or you've seen a number of legal battles yeah. starting from the struggle to get uh, the entry rights women into the mazar akhaji ali to shaira bano and i'm sure lots in between can you tell us a little bit about that see one is the whole thing started with our working with women <laughs> at the ground level with our, with our centers being right within the community so women uh, walked up to us with various issues of education livelihood medical aid and legal uh, redressal also was something which they came up with once <laughs> they saw that we are there and we are helping and we are no there to support so especially i started working in muslim ghettos hmm. and so obviously muslim women came in with a lot of their legal issues hmm. so if the husband has divorced orally or if he is remarried or if no uh, no those kind of legal issues or property matters hmm. and that's the time we realized that law uh, is an important factor in everybody's life it's just that we don't realize it so much we encounter law only when there's a problem but otherwise in our non problem life law plays an important role and we are unknowingly and unconsciously governed by law all the time but our encounter happens only if we have a problem yeah. and that's how we got into understanding muslim family law you know so where are these problems coming from mm-hmm. and then we realize that the law there is no law in the first place so one is having a law and not Uh, it's non implementation that creates a problem and uh, for us it was not having a law itself it was like one step behind and uh, so that's when we realized that uh, apart from the sharia application act of mm-hmm. 1937 and the dissolution of muslim marriage act of 1939 mm-hmm. and the uh, protection of women on divorce mm-hmm. that's the 1986 uh, act right after the the maintenance after shaban meeting other than these three acts out of which only two are talking about specific issue of uh, the uh, maintenance after divorce which is the 86 act mm-hmm. and the 39 act gives a list of nine grounds on which a muslim woman can go to court mm-hmm. and ask for a divorce but other than that we realize there is no law so what should be the age of marriage how should the divorce happen 
uh, what about polygamy because hindu law and other secular laws don't permit polygamy but muslim law permits polygamy so what about that mm-hmm. uh, what about inheritance what about the custody of children now on on all these important family law matters there is no there was i mean there is still no, no law codified law no codified law and that's where we realize that we are we are so deeply in trouble that if you don't have a law then the women doesn't have a base on which she can file her case or fight for her uh, for the justice that she wants and then began our foray into drafting a law now i am not a lawyer zakia is not a lawyer and none from our national uh, team is a lawyer but our daily encounter with women who who are uh, troubled because there is no law just pushed her into us into drafting this family law that we started working on since 2008 so 2008 till 2014 we had multiple consultations i mean we realized our uh, limitation that we are not uh, lawyers and we are getting into an area which is which is completely new but on the other hand we also felt that good that we are not lawyers because then we are not bound by the the baggage that a lawyer carries you know sure. of the jargon of the language of all the sure. uh, difficulties i mean they they make life difficult for themselves and for others guilty as charged absolutely <laughs> you are a lawyer <laughs> and so so even though we ha- didn't have that strength with mm-hmm. us we realized that good that we don't have that strength now we are free to you know see law as we want to see it as very very ordinary women right. you know and uh, that's how our consultations happened over the last over 8 years till mm-hmm. 2014 we spoke to about thousands of women across the country i mean we had about 400 to 500 consultations and each consultation we had five women to 500 women and uh, the only thing that we kept asking in these consultations is what do you think should be the age of marriage what do you think we should do about polygamy should we ban it completely should we make it conditional what do we do with this whole issue uh, what do we do about uh, the method of divorce the way men are divorcing today you know unilaterally and without any kind of uh, i mean it's just for them a matter of a second to break off this marriage what do you think should be the method of divorce you think triple talaq is a good method or should no so that's the level at which we we went or we were there rather already because we are not lawyers so we started with the issues the way they came to us right. and we presented this we asked this question to these thousands of women that we had mm-hmm. consultations with mm-hmm. and uh, based on that our draft came up and the draft if, we, if i have to really sum it up in five to six lines it very clearly says the women i mean the draft is the voice of the women and it very clearly says that 18 and 21 should be the age of marriage the minimum age of marriage of a muslim girl and a muslim boy very very clear in fact one of the consultations i remember very clearly we had done it in bhopal and it was on a terrace of, of somebody's house and this woman said why should it be 18 it should be 21 for the girl because by the time she studies and she is a graduate she is around that age and let her study more you know become strong and independent and then it should be 21 for girls and 25 for boys now this is coming from muslim women who are absolutely uh, from a lower socio economic class but these were her aspirations so that gave us a lot of strength that yes we are on the right track and this needs to come out what ordinary muslim women feel and think about muslim law needs to get articulated so uh, so that's how we did uh, so age of marriage polygamy no unilateral divorce no equal distribution of uh, property rights yes uh, practices like halala and muta no so very very clear mandate 
uh, coming in from uh, women and on based on that we worked out this uh, draft which we released it in 14 so uh, lots of uh, interesting things in there but i'm just going to tease out a few yeah so so when you say that you drafted it and there were no lawyers involved uh, there was nobody involved in the writing process of it uh, the formal structure of it yeah we we got a few individual lawyers okay. who showed some interest mm-hmm. but the content came from the women so for me the language as i said i am not a lawyer so for mm. me the language of law is not important you draft it this way or the other way but the content the mm. the 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 intent the intent or the the masala as right. you say of yeah. the law has come from women so uh, to make it more readable as mm. a as a law mm. we uh, took help of a few people i mean who are willingly to work uh, wanting to come forward and uh, with their help we definitely worked on the draft and the language but mm. end of the day what you see on those papers is something which i have i and zakia have worked on okay, so because a lot of lawyers came up with something which we were not happy with we very mm. clearly mm. did away with that because it has to match with what the women is telling us mm. so but we did take their help definitely so could you elaborate on that i understand the substance came from yeah. a consultative process yeah. and hundreds of people you spoke yeah. to yeah. you said a couple of times that lawyers weren't really able to understand what you were going after hmm. Hmm. Uh, could you sort of elaborate on that a little bit yeah for instance they they would get caught in the technicality of it okay, okay? Uh, so they would get caught between civil law and criminal law what hmm. the kind of debate that's happening now hmm. after the ordinances come in or or the language hmm. or the use of certain words hmm. if you know which would change the uh, the content of hmm. the the clause of uh, that law in different way hmm. so that's where they came in and that's where they helped us also i mean that's where they really uh, made the draft more uh, fine tuned it and made it more legally readable but there were also a few technicalities which we didn't which we felt that that's not our job right. finally this law is going to be made by the parliament right. we are not a law making body hum ye kar rahe wo bhi meherbani samjhe really this is not our job sure. no making a law is not something which any lawyer or any non lawyer should be doing it's the job of the parliament that's what the parliament is for but because it's been 70 years and there is no law and it doesn't look like it's going to happen in the coming decade somebody's got to so somebody has got to do it and somebody has to has to do it bloody well so that it's taken seriously and it has to come up with a with a, with a in a process not that two lawyers and one activist sit in a room and do it it has to go out there amongst people amongst women and that has to get reflected for us that was mm. very important and uh, of course some lawyers who understood this and then they kind of tweaked it to, uh, mm. to so that helped mm. but then there were some some others who got uh, lost in the jargon who got lost in the technicality so we mm. just let it there, be there so so this is something that we've heard from a lot of people when the lawyers are just too caught up in yeah. the formalities in language that yeah. no one else yeah. can understand yeah. so that resonates yeah. and and you also said that some lawyers were willing to yeah, sort of lend yeah. you a ear listen yeah, patiently yeah. did anyone ask to be involved in this consultation meet the people first hand no <laughs> that was something which uh, i also felt a sense of resistance because yeah. I, i did a lot of these uh, meetings with individual lawyers and mm. many things and uh it was like you a lot of them ha- i had to pursue them mm-hmm. it did not come very easily because it seems only lawyers are busy and we are not uh so i had to really uh, push for the time and and of course with some people i just gave up because and, and then again it got reinforced that might mm. as well do it yourself uh, it's not uh, nuclear physics sure. it's a, a, it's a law which mm. concerns everybody's daily life you can use your common sense and you know get it done and, and hopefully so, it should be plain english absolutely 
because any difficult aspect somebody drafted a certain clause and it mm. was something which even i had to read like thrice to understand i made it very simple right. it has to make sense to me it has to make sense to zakia because we are the ones who are going to really take it forward and of course it has to make sense to our to our team and everybody else mm. so so we've talked about uh, the draft law that you put together and how you went about that process what about the actual court battles what was that like as an ordinary person as a yeah. citizen yeah. going to the court with to to demand one's yeah. rights yeah. Uh, was it intimidating was it approachable what was yeah. that experience uh, for that i would go back to the haji ali uh, experience right. and that is another mm. battle but uh, mm. if i have to talk about haji ali then my first challenge was to get a lawyer i think i spent a year just to get one lawyer on board who is going to willing to mm. you know fight it out in the court what did they say were not interested or well the muslim lawyer says sorry we are mm. not going to take up this case we are not men going to men and women that we are not going to pitch it against one section of the community against the other uh, so they were very clear and uh, non muslim lawyers for reasons of their own security or whatever they they were not coming forward and i uh, must have met about 12 13 lawyers mm. in bombay but i did not get any response and i was wondering now if this battle has to be fought in the court i need a lawyer because all the out of court things were not working out trying to talk to the trustees in work out getting the government involved or minority commission the uh, minority development department then they were just not willing to come on board and talk and negotiate so then for us the court was a was the last thing and not getting a lawyer was a was a problem so mm-hmm. then one fine day we said to hell we will file our own tia let us just start let us just start writing down our issues so started so what is our argument for mm. it what are our arguments based on the constitution mm. what are our arguments based on islam was from both the angles we had to challenge the practice of not allowing women inside and we just wrote down what we felt and what, what is our problem and the, the discrimination how it is violating certain uh, aspects and, and all of this is without the help of lawyers absolutely right. so the basic pil uh, which was finally got uh, admitted about say 25% of it is what we wrote. ourselves oh. absolutely uh, but we also realized that it's a leg- it has to be a legal document and if it has to fit into that structure it has might as well you know but what to do so our search continued and luckily my friend's cousin uh, was studying law and she knew advocate raju more and she was uh, interning with us that time and i shared with her in fact the day i met her was the day i was going to meet another lawyer and who eventually uh, did not support so she knew that i'm looking out and mm. then she happened to speak to advocate more and he was just just willing and waiting to i mean he was just there so it was some kind of a uh, luck or something worked where mm. we you know where we met and then uh, he was just i mean he was just made for this i think it was meant to that advocate more would do this uh so the relationship with him was just so smooth till we got our judgment and the final thing absolutely Uh, in fact he is not the soul of a lawyer it's, it's this profession that he is doing <laughs> but <laughs> he understands <laughs> non law aspects uh, aspects or the, the spirit behind it so so he was willing to listen to not only the reasons but also the absolutely. motivations absolutely yeah so that's how then he whatever uh, we had written down as <laughs> our pil he took it up and then he worked on it and of course he changed it in in the way that can be presented to the court so, so this is a very uh, lucky set of coincidences you said there's friends cousin who studying law yeah, and she yeah, knew yeah, advocate more 
and this is for someone who is running a nationwide organization so would it be right to say that for the women that you work with it's nearly impossible to think of approaching oh them oh my god i mean uh, i mean this was uh, like a pil and a big thing but even otherwise for uh, ordinary women who i mean we work with very very poor women she can't even think of a lawyer she can't even think that she will have uh, like a 2000 or even a 500 on her readily to give to a lawyer who will like spend maybe half an hour one hour with her uh, to even uh, listen to her you know story and then what it takes after that is something which she can't even imagine so profession is very very intimidating for ordinary people and for mm-hmm. poor women mm-hmm. uh, poor anyone beyond reach so i, I want to sort of uh, ask this uh, just pull that one out a little bit uh, everyone talks about the courts being an intimidating thing and of course they can be police stations definitely are oh, yeah. but um, this is the first time i've heard someone talk about lawyers or you know the legal profession being an intimidating profession why do you think that is is that it's too technical or... it's just hmm. it's pulled itself away from the ordinary uh, ways in which people look at their problems if i have a problem i don't have the law first thing in my mind right mm-hmm. if my husband beats me beats me and i'm no uh, that's my concern how do you fit into domestic violence act i mean my experience is not going to be molded in a way that it fits into a law the law has to uh, adhere or be sensitive to what's happening to me the problem is the law itself because the language and the jargon mm-hmm. absolutely difficult for even people who are educated to really understand mm-hmm. and then uh, i don't know what goes into the training of lawyers mm-hmm. except for uh, advocate more i find them so arrogant i find them so nose in the air and uh, they are extremely busy all the time and i'm wondering what am i doing in my life am i not busy no so i uh, something goes in the training i don't know what happens i you know the way i like to think of it is that i call uh, lawyers uh, modern day brahmins oh wonderful so, so there is this absolutely uh, you know arcane knowledge ah, of the law ah. and only you have it yeah. and unless somebody pays obeisance to you you will not let them yeah. pass yeah. so it's like they can com- complete control over uh, knowledge and i don't know where the arrogance comes from hmm. that you need to really figure out uh, without exception uh, hmm. with the exception of morisar they are so inaccessible and so difficult to talk so so let's move a little bit to the other members of uh, the legal community uh, judges hmm. uh, the judges that you have met or before whom your matters have been heard are they sympathetic or are they also sort of mechanical just focusing on rules what is your experience well uh, in the hajiali case at least i realized that it shouldn't have taken 2 years mm-hmm. because the matter was very simple 400 years women have not been stopped from going into the mazar and 2 years you stop and you give reasons which don't make sense mm-hmm. from many angles from mm-hmm. the angle of constitution or from the angle of islam clearly violative of article 14 absolutely so clear so i i'm wondering what took them two years when it is such an open and shut case um but other than that well it's their job i guess to see all points of view so even the very nonsense points of view that came from the uh, religious the, you know the, the trustees they had to listen to them also but uh, but i guess that's part of the job and the hearings it's like after one month after two months the last hearing when the judgment came in our favor we were all scattered sakya is somewhere else i am not in bombay my team is somewhere else and now uh, so don't know where that is going to happen like tomorrow but okay, that's okay but i wish it was faster mm-hmm. it moves like this mm-hmm. 
especially when when things are so simple uh, yeah this whole placing of dates and how how those two years are like stretched so that tarikh pe tarikh tragedy continues absolutely do hearing mein ho jana chahiye i mean if you are asking for written submissions then you should sab kuch hai all the homework we are doing if you want some more homework mm-hmm. we did that homework like in a week's time and uh, the trustees also have to do their homework which they also should so if you give them a deadline they mm-hmm. might as well do it it just stretches on and on and on and and now of course uh, bmma is working not just with court matters and, and not just all the various on ground activities mm-hmm. you do you are also deeply involved in policy after the sharapano case there is also the ordinance now yeah. that is just just yeah. last week it last week yeah so busy week for you yeah absolutely <laughs> so so can you talk us through that journey yeah. why in your own words is this significant and yeah. does the fact that it's an ordinance worry you a little bit uh yeah um, so let's start from here yes it does worry because i wish it had come through the regular lok sabha rajya sabha hmm. president kind mm-hmm. of a route because then it it uh, involves the uh, all, all political parties mm-hmm. and it has the kind of backing of the of both the houses of the parliament but i'm wondering why it was not really discussed in the rajya sabha because the whole idea uh, of it being introduced in the rajya sabha after the amendments that mm-hmm. uh, people wanted and we also wanted there was probably enough time in the rajya sabha to have kind of go through the uh, to go through the bill and mm-hmm. Uh, get it done so it's a responsibility of the government and the opposition to kind of behave in a mature manner sure. because it's 72 years 14% of the population is without a law and look what it is doing to the muslim women and uh, how much more politics is going to be happening on this issue mm-hmm. oh, it's already it's been happening all these decades and it's happening even now so how when are they going to just give up their childish behavior and look at a law do their job do their duty of discussing it debating it getting it at a certain point where it is agreeable to all and getting it passed why should that be so difficult but it is difficult and that's how the ordinance is coming so i wish it had happened through rajya sabha but uh, not now that the rajya sabha is not willing to debate it for whatever reason we need to get an ordinance mm-hmm. we are happy with the ordinance mm-hmm. clearly mm-hmm. because at the ground things have to be looked at it from the perspective of this ordinary muslim woman when she comes to tell us and she says that my husband wants to uh, is has given me a divorce like this what do i do we we till this ordinance come, came in we had no there was absolutely no legal uh, recourse hmm. people talk about shami mara judgment and people talk about the 16 2016 supreme court judgment hmm. but judgment is a judgment hmm. uh, it is not a law you know as a very ordinary non law person utna to pata hi hai के जजमेंट को इम्प्लीमेंट कैसे करोगे आप है ना टर्नर आर क्लॉजेज देर आर पेनल्टीज एंड पनिशमेंट्स एंड दैट्स हाउ यू नीड अ पार्लियामेंट नो इफ जजमेंट्स वर इनफ देन वी वुड नॉट नीड द पार्लियामेंट देन द होल जुडिशरी सिस्टम इज गुड इनफ यू गेट जजमेंट्स एंड योर लाइफ गोज ऑन बट यू नीड अ पार्लियामेंट यू नीड अ लॉ एंड यू नीड अ क्लैरिटी एंड एस टू हाउ एंड वॉट शुड द पुलिस डू एन केस लाइक दिस कम्स इन so that that is why we need a law and if it is not coming through a the, through the ordinary uh, through the normal uh, expected route mm-hmm. and uh, if it is meant to come as an ordinance fine mm-hmm. let's discuss this ordinance again in a mature fashion mm-hmm. when you get another opportunity mm-hmm. in the winter session don't behave like children no behave like adults who are who you owe it it is your constitutional responsibility towards 8 crores of muslim women in this country and if you are not going to do it after 72 years when are you going to do it you've not done it for so many decades now when the ordinance is on your head you want to 
want a discussion and a debate on it. What were you doing for so many decades? Yes, but when all these amendments were proposed, amendments no, were proposed. Right. Even the last Rajya Sabha, after the amended bill, there was again no discussion and debate. So when it comes as an ordinance, you want a debate. When there was a time for debate, you didn't do it. And then you don't want to talk about it. For decades, you said we don't want to talk about it. Even on the Hajili case, our uh, uh, ministers at that point of time, these are matters of religion. Women are not supposed to talk about it. Even we are not supposed to talk about it. This is the hegemony or the uh, department of the ulemas and let, uh, let them talk. Let them talk and they mess up. Okay? So then, so the entire political class is behaving in an immature fashion. And our job is to keep knocking at the doors, uh, like a school teacher telling them you need to behave and you need to give, give us a good law. All this while, when you were knocking at their door, they weren't listening. And now that an ordinance has been passed, suddenly people yeah, are waiting. Yeah, now they realize the importance of a debate and a discussion. Right. Right. But, but Fair I think enough. the sort of key takeaway is, as on date, there is a law in force. There is a clear structure. Absolutely. Rules, penalties, everything yes, is clear. Yes. And that's preferable to... Not having a law at not all. Not having a written law. And that's preferable to a positive, but not detailed, codified judgment. Yes. Yes, and still there is always a possibility of amending it and making sure. it better. But to say that this ordinance is not good enough, well, the time has gone by. No? What were you doing at that point? And, and like you said, for that ordinary woman who comes it to you with a problem. It makes sense. Yeah. Women tell us what are you, uh, because in our amended uh, version of the bill, we were saying bring down the punishment from three to uh, one year, three years to one year. And they were saying, please bring it up to 10 years. This is coming from victims no? and billable. Why should it not be uh, uh, billable? Why should he be uh, so scot-free? Hmm. Because she is one, the one who is going through it. So she doesn't understand law. She hmm. doesn't understand technicality. She doesn't know what is a civil law and a criminal law. She knows about her life and what she wants. Hmm. And justice is not something in the books of law. Hmm. Justice is what she has to live with. Or yeah. rather the injustice part of it. And, so, and she doesn't care whether it's an ordinance or it's passed by the Rajya Sabha. There is a law I want that. some protection. Tomorrow if I go to the police station, this guy should not turn me away saying that koi kanun hai ni. Yeah, I cannot help you because, no, aap mein to chalta hai. The language used by the police and they are not wrong because the police will go by the law. And in the absence of a law, they don't know what to do with this woman. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful encapsulation of their attitude. Aap mein to chalta hai. Haan. Let it continue. Chalo, Baba, we cannot do anything about it. Do you feel that now that the law is on your side, in a manner of speaking, uh, it's a little easier to work with Muslim women in Muslim society or it doesn't make that much of a difference, there's still a huge battle. The battle is huge. We are, we are there only at 1%. We have to reach the 100%. I mean, just triple talaq is so, it's actually so easy to do away with because the Quran is very clear. If you have to look at it from the uh, Quranic perspective, there are verses and verses in the Quran which are talking about arbitration. Which are talking about mediation. Which are talking about don't leave your wife hanging in the air. Give mm. her her due, you know, mm. her rights. So there is nothing, nothing in the Quran which is so unilateral. So this fight is actually, Quranically is very easy and simple. Plus there are other Islamic countries who have already done away with it. And yet on such a clear cut uh, issue, there is so much of resistance. There's resistance from the uh, religious groups, which I understand. There's resistance from feminist groups, which I don't understand. Because as a, mm. as a, as a women's uh, right organization, or somebody believing in feminism, and mm. somebody believing in women's rights, if they oppose an ordinance like this, or if they oppose codification of law, if they oppose any kind of legislation on Muslim law matters, I don't understand why and from where that is coming from. 
I can understand the resistance of the board, the Jamaats, because it's their, their hegemony and their uh, control that is being challenged. But feminism, I don't understand. Let me sort of possibly provoke you a little bit. Mm-hmm. There isn't one thing called feminism. There are many different kinds absolutely, of feminism. Absolutely. But, but what, what sort of reasons are thrown by the other side? And yeah, see, when we started this whole process in 2008, when we started BMMA itself, 2007, a lot of women's organization told us, why do you need a women, Muslim women's movement? No, so you have a problem with Muslim women organizing themselves. You don't have a problem tribals are organizing themselves. You don't have a problem if Dalit and OBCs organize themselves. You don't have a problem if working class women organize themselves. But you have a problem if Muslim women organize themselves. That itself is the first block that we kind of encountered with the feminist movement in uh, the country. Although we think we are feminists, there are various strands of feminism and mm-hmm. Dalit feminism, Muslim feminism and, 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 and it's good that this whole massive one hamsav ek hai movement is now getting kind of bra- breaking mm-hmm. it up into its own stream mm-hmm. because there are spe- specific issues which right. the larger movement has not been addressing. Right. Muslim women's legal issues, nobody in the women's mm. movement has addressed. Mm. And, and, and this is something you've spoken about in the past as well. I mean, the idea yeah. that your, your identity identity is not yeah. just as a woman, but as yeah. a Muslim woman, yes. as a citizen of the country. Yeah, yeah, that's very crucial because unless as a Muslim woman, I challenge certain practices which are, which are specific to my community, mm-hmm. how are we going to address it? So there was and there is and in future there is going to be a, a need for Muslim women to become more and more visible mm-hmm. and not just talking about Muslim issue we are women's organization mm-hmm. we have to we need everybody in this society mm-hmm. including men mm-hmm. to support us and mm-hmm. work in solidarity with us but there are certain issues which I will take up because it's only specific to my community if you say triple talaq or mm-hmm. polygamy specifically triple talaq it's not there in other communities I think yesterday there was a, an article where um, unilateral divorce mm. is combined with univo- un- unilateral desertion and unilateral divorce is being compared to uni- unilateral desertion of all women. It, the implication is that this is a universal problem of all women. Mm. Now this is misguiding because unilateral divorce legally terminates that marriage. Mm. Uni- unilateral desertion doesn't terminate the marriage. The marriage remains intact and mm. she continues to have all her rights. So confusing people and getting it combining two different issues into one to make it appear as if Hmm. unilateral divorce and unilateral desertion is one and the same thing it is not and it is coming from feminists and and it comes back to a question of identity i mean there is also the identity as a married woman and everything that comes with it yeah 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 what that means for that person yeah yeah. we've talked about lawyers and how wonderful they are (laughs) and uh, how helpful they've been let's let's go to that question you asked about what goes into the training of lawyers Hmm. What do you think should go into the training of lawyers? They just have to come down from their pedestal. No, but what about the students before they even climb the pedestal? And what would you like to see? I, I have been telling my law interns, some of them come for their internship in BMM, and I tell them my last advice, suggestion, whatever that is, is please don't let this knowledge go into your heads. Maintain your humility, mm-hmm. just be connected with people and treat your clients or whatever that you call them as as people look things from their perspective and then you use your knowledge of law i mean mean, it is important knowledge why not there's a certain structure that needs to be run but i think that's wonderful if people manage to imbibe some of that the profession will be very different yeah 
and after all we the people of india gave ourselves this law why are you yeah, lawyers yeah. charging us yeah, money yeah, to explain yeah, it to yeah. us and no charge money that's mm. that's fine it's mm. a profession and it's mm. a work that uh, i mean nothing should be free you you do your lawyers charging of fees from people who can uh, afford to pay you mm-hmm. but a certain section of your time and energy and knowledge has to go for people who are not who are not going to be able to pay and and also like you pointed out uh, it's it's not just about the rules and the technicalities yeah, you also yeah, have yeah. to understand the people yeah and yeah, the yeah and somewhere maybe the higher ups whoever are in charge of drafting these laws please make it simple yaar yeah. please make it write it in a language which uh, which people understand why i don't know it's it's i think a colonial uh, thing of making it uh, exactly we could spend many hours talking about that but again this is something we have consistently heard mm. so so people complain about how laws are difficult to understand yeah. business people we have spoken with complain about how contracts are impossible to understand and that's what something the government like that's what your lawyer right exactly i think that there's a balance that has to be struck between ensuring accuracy in yeah. language yeah yeah and ensuring still clarity clarity thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to hear what you think about it If you have any suggestions for us such as who you'd like us to speak with next or what we can do to make these podcasts better please write to originals@humlab.in that's o r i g i n a l s @h u m l a b .in see you in the next podcast